Welcome back, everyone, to the Chip Lunch Podcast. It is wonderful to have you along with us, and uh, I have my wonderful co-host along with me as well. Welcome, Stu. Welcome, Tim. How are you? Pepsi, the choice of a new generation. Cool. That's our first sponsored segment of the podcast. <laughs> Why did <laughs> you do that? Wayne's World. Party time. Oh, Party time. It's from Wayne's World. Party on, Tim. Party on, Garth. <laughs> <laughs> Garth. You guys might be too young for that movie. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen Wayne's World. So. Oh, wow. Do yourself a favour. If you want to okay. understand my generation and what it was like to be a youth minister in the 90s, watch that show. Oh, really? Because all the kids we used to lead used to be like that. Yeah, the, like the Wayne's the World movie, guys? Yeah, yeah. Like, dude. Yeah, like dude, that. like, all, yeah, all that sort of stuff. Right. But was it, it was this one great moment where this guy, they pick this friend up who's drunk and he gets in the back of the car and he's about to spew. And Garth has this little paper cup that you'd get on an aeroplane just for a little sip of water. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Garth just get, carefully unfolds this cup and he goes... If you're going to spew, dude, spew into this. <laughs> it's iconic. It's got, you've got to watch the movie, man. We'll do a whole episode on it, I promise, one day. Okay. Wayne's World. What it teaches us about Generation X. I think I was saying to you before that the, last, the first Pepsi I had, remember, was probably in high school, but it was like the Spice Girls. and Yeah, that's what uh, they were paying out. Yeah, and David yeah, Beckham. How celebrities, you know, promote stuff. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, talking of those kind of things in culture... Uh, we did a Super Bowl party at uh, Sorovival Kirui on, this is, we're recording this on a Friday, it was the Monday, this will come out on the next Wednesday, but uh, that was a lot of fun, but the cool thing was uh, one of our uh, people that come along to church, Luca, uh, he had an access to, well he, had, he pays for it himself, uh, called, it's a DAZN, which is a streaming service, mm. but what that meant was we would get all the American ads Ooh. during the actual Super Bowl, because mm. when you watch in Australia, you either watch it on Channel 7 uh, or on um, KO, but you end up getting these boring Australian ads that are really repetitive, but as you know, the, su- the commercials within the Super Bowl are a really big thing, so 30 seconds is $7 million, mm. that's how much it costs to buy 30 30 seconds, seconds is $7 million? Yes, that's right. Seven million dollars for the for the for a thirty second. How much I'd get for saying Pepsi, the choice of a new generation? I don't know, maybe none because that's an old <laughs> that's an old saying. <laughs> probably, and I don't have to lean forward to the microphone to sell it either. Probably. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but there was a on the Super Bowl ads. There's a, it seems to be a, a little bit of a uh, a theme that you have to pay someone a celebrity a lot of money to promote the product, but then you also make it funny so it's memorable. Oh, okay. So, for example, there was a State Farm ad, which State Farm is an insurance company, yep. and they had Arnold Schwarzenegger, and they're like, something to do with like being your neighbour, and they'll say, he's like, neighbour, and they're like, it's neighbour. Like, they would <laughs> just go on and on about the pronunciation of it, but it's really memorable because State Farm is like your neighbour, they look after you. Etc. Et That's clever. Christopher Walken was in a BMW ad, for example. Ben Affleck and Matt Damon and Tom Brady were all in a Dunkin' Donuts ad, mm-hmm. and they <laughs> Ben Affleck's really upset that he feels like he's not getting the recognition he deserves. So he um, jumps in on Jennifer Lopez because he and Jennifer Lopez are back together, and interrupts her recording session. He's like, "Yo, I should be on the album," and does this terrible um, uh, song. So things like that. That's what you do. However. Uh, something that did cause a little bit of uh, controversy or maybe uh, interest was that there were some uh, commercials on Jesus. And At the Super Bowl. Yes, during, $7 million. during the Super Bowl. Well, yes, but there was two. So they would have spent... $14 million. I think so, at least. Um, so we just had a, a... Sorry, I just dropped the can. That's what happens when you're part of the new generation. You drop, drink drop coke. Can. That's why I dropped it. You go ahead. <laughs> Um, so it was a He Gets Us campaign that was cool so I thought I'd show you guys okay. and then we could perhaps go back to one of Andy Crouch's things of is it copying critiquing uh, what's the third one condemning condemning consuming or creating creative. culture yep. alright so yeah, I'll show you guys and it'll come up come up on the screen if you're in yep. uh, if you're on YouTube and we'll, we'll see what you think Generated, not an AI. Yeah. Uh, 
think I read it there. They actually are uh, real people. That's just being stylized. You okay. were there. Two worlds collided. And they could never tear us apart. We can live. What, do you, what would you, what category would you put it in? Stu, you brought us the Andy Crouch work. What category would you put it in first? Okay, first impressions. Yes. Haven't seen it before. <laughs> uh, just to give us a little bit of background in case you haven't heard the last podcast, Andy Crouch is a commentator on culture and his book is called Culture Makers and he has a bit of a framework towards how Christians can relate to culture as I understand it, which is he sees that as Christians, we can have gestures towards cultures which are one-off reactions to a cultural change. So, for example, we might sometimes condemn a cultural change because we think it's not biblical, or we might critique it, or we might actually think it's okay and copy it, or we might just even be passive towards it and consume it as a Christian. And he argues in the book, though, that those different gestures, while okay towards certain one-off responses towards things, a gesture towards a change, if they become a posture, he argues that that can create a passive church. For example, if the church is always just condemning everything that happens in cultural change, oh, they've done a Jesus ad, I'm going to condemn that. It's not a good idea because it's new. Well, some ads might be good. Uh, Some people might go, oh, that's fantastic because... We're engaging with culture in a new way and the ad in effect is kind of copying culture because it's saying let's communicate the gospel through the medium of advertising. So that's an interesting experiment. Uh, But if we always have a posture towards cultural change of one of those things, then we're we're always going to be passive. Now, Christians are really good at critiquing culture and to a certain extent we do that on this podcast too. We talk about a cultural thing that happens and then we say what we think about it. But that doesn't create any cultural change or create anything. It just is us talking about it. So just because Christians talk about culture doesn't mean that it actually leads to ministry outcomes. So Andy Crouch in his book has another category, which is, he says, at the local level of the local church, if Christians are creating their own culture, they're actually contributing to culture, which I really like that framework and I really like that um, piece where he says let's be creative so yeah I think it'd be interesting today to say you know is that at one level it looks like it's copying culture because it's advertising but another comment we could make is is it actually critiquing culture is it actually I think you could probably see this through all these lenses right so just to give you a quick overview and introduction it could be critiquing culture because it could be saying well look a lot of people are saying we're hateful so let's show some images of Christians washing feet and show that Jesus actually was really loving towards people who were different vibing the new Samar- the sorry the good samaritan how we relate to others uh, we're not haters of people who are different to us that could be kind of a critique could be copying because they're using the medium of advertising and they're talking about current issues it could be even condemning maybe because it could be condemning a christian culture of hate some people might look at that and yep. say that's a critique of christians who are presenting um truth without love that's possible i don't know again these are just first impressions Mm. but then the other side of it it could be someone might say well it's not consuming culture because they've created something so it definitely doesn't seem to be that i don't know what you guys think but the last one is creative it could be seen as this is a creative attempt by the church to create their own culture during using a a medium is that like a short little presentation of the gospel Mm. we could unpack that because i'm sure that's probably what people are unpacking as well like they're probably critiquing the actual attempt to do something as well as critiquing what it's trying to do so yeah that's the short introduction um i'd be interested to see what you two think before i go much deeper well tim you said you'd you'd read a fair bit on it before we we oh yeah there's been so much commentary in the you know the christian sphere of you know people who comment on these kinds of things uh and yeah a lot of it uh, a lot of people are quite 
upset at it because you know it doesn't give a clear gospel two ways to live presentation that points people towards Jesus dying on the cross and the atonement for sins. So there's that kind of critique. Uh, there's a bit of critique that potentially they've intentionally used um, uh, sort of left-wing progressive uh, ideas and imagery and trying to subvert that and so it plays into a more of a woke ideology. There's those kind of critiques. Um, there, was a, there was a counter ad that was released not long after which shows uh, all these people who have been in non-Christian uh, lifestyles, beliefs, ideologies, positions, etc., uh, who have become Christians and shows their faces and tells you know how Jesus transformed them. Um, and there's a lot of people who go, like, oh, that's the ad that should have shown. And I, was, oh, I don't think that would have tracked at all. Um, and a large part of it, I think, it, a lot of the criticism, certainly from sort of more conservative circles, I just I wonder whether they they're, they're wishing there was an ad that was, you know, basically a two ways to live gospel presentation um, and that the end point would be, you know, people becoming Christians because they watched a 30-second Super Bowl ad. And mm. I just don't think that that is really what the people are trying to get at. Uh, you know, it seems to me as if the point of the advertising is to uh, make people who are not Christian curious and, and spark a little bit of interest and go, uh, you know, have... You've probably got in mind, particularly those who are not Christians, um, and particularly in America, there's there's such a still a strong cultural Christianity. Um, I think a lot of you know people on the street will think they know what Christianity is, um, and if they're not Christian, then that's probably either it might be a benign idea, but it's more likely to be a negative idea, um, particularly people who have had bad experiences with church and Christians, or they see the way the Christianity is portrayed mm. in the media. Um, if they're those who are um, not conservative leaning, we'll see the way that uh, the church has aligned itself with conservative politics and go, well, if that's what it means to be Christian, you know, we're not. And we talked a number of seasons ago about, you know, the need to tease yeah. those kinds of and things. And the evangelical apart. right. As they yeah, call yeah those kind of things. So yeah. I, I think what they're trying to do is to say, uh, if, if, you're already, if you're already going to church and you're already a Christian, the ad's not for you. It's not about you. It's not for you. You're not the target audience. Is is my take on it? Mm. Um, what they're trying to do is say, if you're somewhere here, if this is the world that we're starting, assuming that you're in and you're starting here, uh, you're not going to church. You've probably got preconceived ideas about Jesus. Uh, they're probably ideas that um, that uh, emphasise negative tropes or negative history of churches mm. um, in the past. Uh, Here's another presentation to sort of say, actually, maybe check out Jesus again. Maybe be curious. Um, and the direction from the website is to uh, alpha courses and Bible reading plans and ways to sort of, if you if this does pique your interest and you're curious about Jesus and you you are at a point where you like to think afresh about whether Jesus does get us, maybe Jesus has more to it than I've given him credit for and I've given his church credit for. Maybe I'm curious about that. So I think that's kind of where it's mm. trying to go. And, and I, don't, I just feel like a lot of people who have criticised it have uh, wished it was something else um, and not noticing, uh, not appreciating the, the potential that it might have um, in that. So that's kind of like where I've been mm. thinking during the week as I've, you know, it's come up in podcasts, it's come up on, you know, social media, it's come up on blog posts all over the place, Yeah. Well, it's interesting that uh, the spokesperson for the He Gets Us campaign said our goal was to really show that Jesus loved and cared for anyone and everyone. And then later on he says, uh, I need to find it, sorry. Oh, one of the main purposes for the campaign is to try and invite anyone, no matter what they believe, to explore the story of Jesus. Mm. The audience of the Super Bowl allows us to do that with the greatest potential reach. And that makes sense because the Super Bowl is the highest watched TV event in the US by far. Like it, and that's why it costs so much to pay for an ad for it. One of the questions... Part of this year was it's the biggest TV event ever in all of history. Is Taylor Swift went? Well, I Could think that's part, part of it. Of it is, is drawing people who aren't it. interested in American football but are interested in the personality of pop stars mm. um, and they, they, you know, has come together in this moment with her boyfriend being on a team that is playing in the Super Bowl and that has yes. drawn in yes. a whole lot of 
and all uh, the other team. interesting thing as well. Mm. Uh, we counted, uh, she was shown on screen 14 times in the four or five hours that we watched the Super Bowl. So right. obviously that was a big part of it. Uh, next mm. to her, apparently her best friend, Blake Lively. Who oh, there you go. Yeah, Isn't that lovely? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> One question I was going to ask though, because <laughs> wow. if, somebody, if somebody was watching it, <laughs> is that patronising? I think so. I, just I, a little, I think I'll just let a little bit of Gen X come out there. I do apologise to all the, all the younger. I get, a, I get a little bit over it. Like, yeah. oh, so people are now into NFL, are they? Well, because Taylor Swift is. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. I mean, there's, there is. Sell, sell their Patriots jersey and buy a Chiefs one, maybe. Yes, yeah. maybe. Anyway, bandwagon. Mm. I mean, this is not really where we're headed, but there is another interesting cultural moment of just that the power of Taylor Swift. Yes. Like that's another huge cultural mm. I mean she's she's a cultural meme. Like there's yeah, she is that significant and that big um, that we're tracking her unlike we have tracked any other uh, music star for a very long time. Yes. I think it's been so. a while since we had big superstars like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, which like is a also kind curious. of Madonna vibe like superstars like that. It's like all four Beatles wrapped into one. Yeah. She's Kurt Cobain in Nirvana. She's yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, well, as, anyway, I, sorry, well, as I said a number of times, uh, my dad lives in the US and he was talking to people about it and they were like, Taylor Swift, like, Taylor Swift was performing in Japan the night before and yeah. they're like, how's she going to get back? 12 hour And that's like, something. she has to get a, pri- she'll get a private jet and she'll get there. Like, it's not that big a deal. I saw a photo of her on the private jet during turbulence and her mother was sitting next to her eating and she's like (laughs) (laughs) just like played in the air or something it's even the fact that you've seen that clip it just shows the power of her as a cultural main but that's the thing it's just yeah yeah, I mean okay her plane went through turbulence Mm. I mean Mm. nearly every plane does so but yeah there's just something going on one interesting thing was apparently she couldn't fly directly to Las Vegas where the Super Bowl was she had to fly to LA and then get another private jet over to Las Vegas because of customs. Global warming. Like oh, the, US, the US doesn't allow you to come straight into Las Vegas. How much would that contribute to global warming? Oh, yeah, all, all those jets and anyway. flying around. Uh, one, one thing but I was going to say. she's in Melbourne, so. Oh, is she? Yeah, she's close to Oh, now. the tour's starting in Australia, is yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, there we go. She's here. Quick turnaround. Quick turnaround. I wonder if Travis is in Australia. Doubt it. <laughs> Doubt it. Well, he was at the Super Bowl parade, which was another thing that was so very, so many very sad. to talk about on this. Because then they had the machine gun guy who yeah, the guy shot, shot people at in the, the crowd when they were celebrating. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's a massive story. My question was going to be, though, uh, for people that weren't watching it and are only, only just hearing it, it's a series of images, like we said, of people from different backgrounds and someone washing their yeah. feet. Yeah. What I thought was interesting, though, and I'll ask you this, Stu, is that do you think everyone that watches that now would know what the symbolism of washing the feet means? Like, So that's when Jesus washes washes people's feet. Yeah, well, that's that's something that stood out to me, actually, because I thought about that. And from, from Scripture, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And I think that might be my first thought, as I've just seen it for the first time. There was a bit of unease in me look, watching it, because on one okay. level I was like, oh, that's really nice. People are being good Samaritans to each other and they're loving each other. But they weren't being good Samaritans to each other. They are actually acting out a... Um, uh, copying something that Jesus did for his disciples. And I think maybe, as I listen to you, Tim, I haven't read any critique on this yet, but I wonder if some people are, are leaning into, actually, there is a call to follow Jesus and to be a disciple of Jesus and that we are to love and also present the truth of Jesus at the same time, not mm. just love everybody as disciples. Like, we're to love everyone, but I think we are called to love God and love others in Matthew 22, 37 to 40. But when we think of loving others, we're thinking, well, there's two kinds of others. The scriptures make it pretty clear that our first priority is to the church. And I think when Jesus washes the disciples' feet, that's an image for the church to serve one another. And there's a whole heap of um, texts that unpack that from Paul and John and James about you know building up the church and building one another up. That's not exclusive to say that we don't do that for people outside the church as well. But I just thought it was an interesting choice in an evangelistic or pre-evangelism, whatever it is, piece that they would conflate those two things. Mm. I thought that was a bit of a stretch Mm. because could Christians watch that and subconsciously or consciously think, oh, I think they're saying to me I should treat everybody outside the church the same as I treat them in the church. And I think we should love everybody. But we especially, there's, you know, I haven't got a text off the top of my head, so I might look one up. But 
you know, especially, you know, that phrase, especially. Yeah, particularly, people, particularly, particularly in the household of faith. Yeah, can you think of a verse where that, that's yeah, just coming to mind? I'm trying to have a look. look it's, uh, yeah. But yeah, I think it's like, it's almost like, yeah, we as the church, for example, when people come to church, they don't belong to church until they actually belong to Jesus. Right. So he's actually serving his disciple by washing their feet. But he's called on us to do the same thing, you know, to, to emulate that humility and serve one another in that beautiful way. But I think when, is there a danger that we're giving people the false impression that if someone's washing your feet, you're also a disciple of Jesus when you're not a disciple of Jesus? Mm. Could there be a bit of universalism that's not unpacked there? Could it be giving people... And the problem with things like this, and the problem with things we do with everything, is every good thing has shadows, right? Yeah. So even if it's a good thing that they've done that, it's going to have shadows. And I, I think that one stood out. Mm. The other thing is, I don't know why, but I'd be interested in what you two think, but I felt a bit uncomfortable at the end when it said Jesus, us, and it turned the last two letters of Jesus into us. It's like, we're not God. Like, we're not, we're not the focus. He gets us, but we're not part of his name. Like, he is Jesus. And I felt a bit uncomfortable about that. Mm. And then the third thing I think I would just like to say quickly is, I remember going to an event once where, and we, we, it was one of those meetings where you get an interdenominational group of people and you want to put on an evangelistic event. And we're, we're planning this event together with a bunch of youth ministers in the 90s and we're all saying, hey, let's do an event. And there was a real sticking point with presenting the gospel at the event. So I was saying, let's just preach the gospel. But there were some others saying, oh no, we'll turn people off if we preach the gospel because they'll feel uncomfortable. What we need to do is give a testimony of how Jesus has changed someone and then say, if you've become a Christian after you've heard that testimony, come backstage and we'll um, pray with you and you can become a Christian. My point was, well, how can you become a Christian if you don't understand the atonement and if you don't understand that Jesus sacrificed his love for you, he's, you're a sinner and you need saving? And they were saying, oh, no, that'll turn people away. Now, I'm not saying that's what these people in this ad are doing, but I would contrast this ad with Billy Graham because Billy Graham was also a massive, had a massive audience, a massive voice, and he never did that. He never did pre-evangelism. He would just come out and preach the gospel. He would talk about the gospel on TV. He'd always talk about the gospel. That was the centre of his message all the time. And I, I don't know where I stand heaps on that video yet. Or I don't even know if I have to stand anywhere on it. Actually, it's <laughs> nothing to do with me, but... I think I wouldn't make that video because mm. I think if I had $7 million, I'd preach the gospel. Now, I'm not saying I'd preach the gospel in a trite way and people would become Christians. I'm not saying that. But I'd say every chance we get, the best thing our culture needs to hear is the gospel. and They need to hear it clearly and not, not in some kind of, you know, uh, ambiguous, apologetic way that is open to ambiguous interpretations, which I think that is a little bit ambiguous little bit open to interpretation you know are christians who do vote for trump looking at that going oh they just rebuked us they might have felt like that was towards them so they're watching the super bowl and say oh come on man like we're just watching a game and you're having a go at us because you know you're almost saying we don't do that so we're not real christians i can imagine some christians thinking that so that's a bit ambiguous and on the other hand there could be people going oh isn't that good they're saying you know there was a lovely shot of a la two ladies together and a muslim lady having her feet washed and that some people might go, oh, that's great. They're saying Jesus gets us. We can be who we are and we can be Muslim and he's washing our feet and we're one of his disciples. Possibly you could take that impression. And sure, you know, get people to come and investigate further, but I'd rather tell people from the stage what the message is rather than come back to the back end of the website to come and really hear the gospel. Mm. So, yeah, I probably made my point, but I'm, I really love Billy Graham's approach and I think he was really good at connecting with people because he said... His basic message, as I understand it, is you have a problem and Jesus has the answer. Your problem is you're a sinner. And he shut out all the cultural stuff, all the noise around the Cold War. He didn't mention it. Mm. He didn't. He tried hard not to enter. I mean, people can debate this with me, but he tried not to enter into right-wing, left-wing. He used to be, you know, there to advise Democratic presidents as well as Republicans. He tried to shut that out and not actually I don't know it's not that he didn't talk about it he just spoke about Jesus so as soon as you think of Billy Graham who do you think of he's an evangelist yes what's an evangelist someone who tells the gospel all the time so anyway 
that's my little two cents. So mm. I'd love to hear what you two think. But did you find that verse that you were looking for? Uh, yeah, Galatians 6.10 was what I was thinking for. Uh, so therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I should have known that. So yeah, it's, thank you. That's um, good. Sorry, right, I didn't think that's, that's where I was coming from. Hmm. Yeah. Mm. Um, I was going to ask though. I might be being picky, but that's, no, that was my impression. No, it's right. It's the, the reason we're doing this podcast yeah, yeah, is to have yeah. a discussion about it. I think you did it in a really uh, calm way rather than we, we're not doing, only critiquing. I think you've just created something as well. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, I thought as you were talking about that, though, was trying to. And I'm trying to link again that the washing of the feet story. I feel like if I was an 11-year-old boy in a non-Christian household watching the Super Bowl, I'd be like, what, has everyone got dirty feet? Like, that's how I would interpret mm. it. So I wonder if that's the attempt is there to create conversation. But why, why are all these people washing feet? And well, then someone would know to be able to tell them the story about Jesus too? Well, uh, yeah, maybe or maybe not. And this is right. the – I mean, it's – washing feet has zero cultural relevance – Yes, mm. today because everyone was having much dirtier feet. So at yeah. the time. It, it's no one a, does it anymore, do they? Well, yeah. that's right. It's not something that anyone does. Not not legitimately like in, in a like it's yeah, an it's actual household task. Like in Jesus' day, it was an actual household task, which had a lot for more a servant yeah. to come and wash your feet mm. because you're walking around in open toe sandals with all the dirt and the animal poo and everything else, and it's all <laughs> yeah. caked in your feet. Um, well, and so, yeah. it's like it, Jesus is. He's not doing. Uh, he, he's not doing merely a symbolic gesture. Yeah. He's doing an actual uh, subservient, humiliating role that needed to happen. And in him doing it is what creates the symbolism mm. for it. And does it in front of the Pharisees, Pharisees, right? No, 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 he, no. He's just, he's just inside. He's okay. only that, got okay, his disciples. That was my point. He just did it to the disciples. Okay, yeah, yeah. sorry. I'm um, conflating um, no, it's, it's I have to go back and check the text. I'm fairly confident that Judas is there as well at that time. So he, yeah, he, he is, is also washing Judas's feet, yeah, which is interesting. Yeah, he does. Um, right. But what, I mean, part of what Jesus is doing there is, yeah, he's infusing this act with symbolism. He's not just doing a symbolic act, but he, like he's, he's doing um, the the lowest of the low job. He's humiliating himself um, and saying, this is how you are to act. You are to mm. act in such a way. Um, and the, what are the, actually- As, I'll, a, as I'll, a servant, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I'll try to bring it up because I actually really love the turn of phrase that John uses. Um, let me just quickly grab it. He talks about, uh, uh, oh, chapter 13, not 14. Uh, Jesus says, uh, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So this massive high theology of Jesus knowing who he is. And so he got up from the table, took off his outer clothes, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured feet into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet. Poured feet into a basin? Poured... <laughs> Water into a basin? <laughs> Did I say that? Began to wash his disciples' like feet, <laughs> drying them Simpsons. with the towel that was wrapped around him. Um, <laughs> that's all right. Uh, so what I love is that John, in this same <coughs> sentence, uh, it's because Jesus knows who he is in this high theology that mm -hmm. Jesus knows uh, he has all power. And be knowing that I have all power, mm. uh, I therefore take the most humiliating role that you could possibly have mm. in the household, washing think, yeah. the animal poo from caked yeah. on animal poo and mud which from is someone a, else's feet. a glimpse feet. of what he does on the cross. Absolutely. So he's, he's, in, he's doing all that. It's, just, it's, it's part of this Passover meal where he'll then break bread and um, you know, pass around the lamb and uh, have the wine to say, you know, I am the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, which is a theme from John's gospel early on. Mm. So he's doing all of this. Um, which, and again, this yeah, the, the ad, no one really has that re reference point. Yeah, um, so Christians uh, who are watching the ad will probably at least be able to connect, oh, Jesus did that to his disciples. Yeah. Um, and uh, when he, say, he then says, uh, I've set you an example uh, that you should do as I have done yeah. for you, which 
I don't think he's instituting foot washing as a regular practice that the church should engage in <laughs> from here to eternity. Like he's he's saying. Although I think the Pope still washes all the cardinals' feet once a year, doesn't he? Yeah, which is an interesting thing. But what he's setting up is Sorry, not. I'm just saying foot some washing. people have taken. Yeah, yeah, that. I, no, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, but he's not setting up foot washing as the doctrine, the the cultural artifact that you mm. should continue to take this on. He's setting up. Uh, this humility, this attitude towards servant-heartedness, servant-heartedness, yeah. yeah. and it's a servant-heartedness that it is embedded in knowing who he is as God's son, and the all power has been given to him. And so, I mean, if you connect that with Matthew, where he says, you know, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go and make disciples of all nations. It's this same kind of thing that you've, because we are so confident in knowing who Jesus is, therefore we can go out and do even the most humiliating of things because it's not about us. It's not about our personality, our prestige, our influence or any of those kind of things. We, we can go out and we can take the humblest of roles towards uh, those in the church, yes, and towards loving even our enemies, um, which is the radical part of what Jesus says. Um, that you know, we can do all of that because of our confidence in who mm. God is and, and who Jesus is as his son and what he has won for us on the cross. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Joel, that that you know, 10-year-old who's watching this who has no Christian upbringing, no cultural, he's going like, what is, I don't understand that. What's the connection here between all of those images and Jesus and most likely will turn to the parents and go, what did that mean? And most likely the parents go, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Like, yeah, let's hope there's a movie trailer coming up soon. Like, yeah, like, yeah. So, is there a new Marvel movie? Yeah, yeah. the Halo movie got a, a good run on the oh, Zoom. Yeah. Right. Mm. I mean, as a youth minister, I used to say to kids, an equivalent is stacking the dishwasher at home. Yeah. So I didn't say to the kids, go home, wash your parents' feet, but grab know, a tea towel, grab a tea towel, swing on a tea towel. That that was a common refrain that I've used over the years. And I, I think what's happened in the Personally, I think also part of the controversy around this is there's a real discussion around truth and love in our generation. There's a real conversation around what we believe and, and how we act it out and how we serve. And unfortunately, there's a polarisation between some people. In some people's minds, there's a polarisation. Our oh, progressives serve and act out in love and conservatives just talk about it. Um, conservatives are just saying, oh, become a Christian and then... Because well, do they're all about truth it. and not love. Yeah, it's the caricature. And yeah, that's... And, and that's, progressives yeah. are all about love but don't care too much about yeah, truth. I think that's, so then that's the caricature. Yeah, of. yeah, and I think in an ad, those caricatures might be screaming out of that ad because, you know, it, it is really good to to sponsor in someone's heart. Yeah, I should, I should love other people who are different to me. If that's the conversation, that's great. But um, I was just thinking a bit about um, Corinthians 13.6. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. So um, John Piper had a statement on that verse where he says, love is glad when the truth is spoken. So I think that's a really cool phrase. Love right. is glad when the truth is spoken. So that, that real love doesn't want the truth to go unspoken. So is the truth about the why in that ad spoken? Maybe not, and maybe that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. That did Jesus come to wash feet, or did he come to die for that person? Because ultimately, the point of saying to his disciples, "I've come to wash your feet," has to be pointing to the cross as well, doesn't it? It's not a, I just want you to live like this and serve people like this. It's like I'm doing this to show you that I've come to be your servant, humbling myself, as Philippians two talks about, so that I might actually not count account um, equality with God something to be grasped but made myself a servant made myself the least of all servants so he's died for the, for them he's dying for them he's going to serve even the one who betrays him he, he serves him and so i think that points to that and the other thing that i think is worth mentioning is ephesians four fifteen says speaking the truth in love that's a really cool phrase speaking the truth in love we are to grow in all aspects into him who is the head even christ so does it point to what we do for each other? I think what I didn't like about the us on the Jesus is it's just Jesus. We should point to Jesus. That's the truth. We point to Jesus, not Jesus and us in the in the same word. Like, I, yeah, I'm, I, the more I think about it, the more uncomfortable I feel about 
that. And again, it might be I might be misplacing my thoughts as I first seen it, but it, it is a bit jarring for me because we speak the truth in love. We 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 are pointing to Jesus, and so we kind of need to explain why He washed the feet. And they are because they're sending people to a website, and that's cool. Mm. Um, People might think I'm being a bit picky, but I mean, I wouldn't know what to do with three seconds or whatever they had. So well, and that and maybe right, part of yeah. it as well is, I mean, what can you communicate in 30 yeah. seconds? Yeah, it's hard. Um, yeah. But that's to where try I come back to. Message that's where I come back to some of the, the, the great evangelists of the past. They were able to pull that off. So you've well, got Billy Graham wasn't talking for 30 seconds. Like he. Well, I think he did. He had little sound bites. He, he was interviewed on TV. He'd be talking to a chat show host. He'd be stopped at an airport and people would ask him, what are you mm. here for? And he'd tell them about Jesus. Bang, straight away. Mm. I'm here because I think you need a saviour. Jesus is the saviour. That's what I'm here for. And, and that's become a meme now. So everyone thinks, oh, you know, people don't listen to that anymore. But that's the mistake I think we're making. I think people do listen to that. We're worried that the 70s got so cheesy with our copying of culture that if we don't somehow deconstruct culture and be a bit edgy, then they're not going to listen to us. And I think that's the mistake Tooth and Nail Records made in the 90s when they started taking Christian music into a different direction and saying, let's be Christians in a band, not just be Christians who are singing Christian music. I think it's the mistake we made when we overcopied the culture in the 80s. Every time a new band came out, there was a Christian alternative. Poison came out with a sound and then all of a sudden you've got a band that sounds exactly like them. Petra sounded like, you know, Dio and, and Black Sabbath and all those kind of bands. So we... You know, again, coming back to Andy Crouch, he said probably the biggest example of copying culture is the Jesus movement of the 1970s, which pretty much photocopied the culture of popular music and made a Christian version of it. There's a little bit of a sense of that in this, which is now we have an edgy culture, so let's have an edgy ad. But at the same time as we're doing that, the, the whole copying of culture in a funny way made our Christian proclamation of the gospel come across as cheesy. And the bumper stickers they sold in Christian mm. bookshops and all the trinkets and Jesus is my homeboy and all mm. these silly things mm. that was going around. But in the midst of the Jesus movement and contemporary Christian music and all that sort of stuff, there was still Billy Graham who was going around teaching the gospel, who wasn't engaging in culture, he was engaging with sin. And I think that's our, you know, personally I think that's where the creativity thing about Crouch really attracts me, that we are culture creators because we have a message that's different to the rest of the culture. So rather than just having a chip on our shoulder thinking we need to engage with culture, let's create culture. Our culture we create is the me message of the gospel and that gospel creates go culture. Mm. I, I think you could argue that that's what the ad's trying to do. There's a Christian culture there because Jesus is very different and he's saying cross these boundaries. But um, you know, the whole progressive movement wouldn't exist in another culture that hadn't had a Christian foundation in the first place because they're still preaching the love one another, even if they're my enemy message, but they've just removed Jesus. And I think that's why I'm worried about the name Jesus. Mm. It seems to be in that same trajectory to me. Mm. I might be being too harsh, Tim. What, what do you think? Oh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, that the Jesus didn't occur to me. I just thought it was a weird stylistic choice because they kept using us all the way through when they merged it. I didn't think too much more about it. Um, I am wondering, though, about the, the difference between... Uh, when does creative get copying and, and, and vice oh, versa? Unreal question. So, <laughs> because you know, I think there's a good argument, and you said it right at the start, that there's a sense where they're copying culture because in a market-driven economy where the best way to communicate your message is through advertising and you're paying money to create uh, artifacts that people will talk about and will become memes and that, you know, those kinds of things, that there's a copying aspect where the Christians have just taken a... Uh, uh, a market capital communication method of a 30-second mm. advert um, and just done exactly the same thing but with Jesus in mm. it. And they're trying to make you curious about Jesus just like I was actually, when I was watching them, I was thinking about the the old, hi, I'm a Mac, I'm a PC. Yeah, yeah. Kind of yeah, ads. No, where those ads. <laughs> they're not necessarily communicating a lot other than trying to make you curious about, oh, maybe I do want to check out a Mac. Um, and so... Because if you were a hipster and you weren't just a nerd, you would, you would love the hipster dude, but if you just wanted to have a computer program that was really good, you know, yeah, you'd buy yeah, the yeah. PC, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, you know, like people who are computer programmers probably look at that and they're, oh, they're so simplistic, they don't tell mm. enough about what it means to be a computer programmer. Well, no, that's not the point. Uh, so that was kind of where I was thinking. But, um, the, but so there's, a, there's this market capitalist 
mm. communication method of 30-second advertisements. Mm. Um, now, uh, and so this is in some ways copying culture. Mm. Um, what does it mean, to, like how do you create a, what does it mean to create culture? Uh, can you avoid copying? I mean, you know, I, I imagine that the podcast format was not invented by Christians explicitly for, you know, proclamation. So we are in a sense copying a communication method in doing this, but we mm. actually also think that it's creative and we're trying to create a good cultural goods. So mm. where, where does that blind blur? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And that's why I was saying before, I'm still a bit hazy on it because is that just a communication tool or are they tipping into copying the way ads are done? Mm. So I think Andy, I was going to say a little later, I'm glad you raised it because you know I love Christian music. And so you're probably looking at me going, Stu's saying they're just copying No, no, no. Like, I, but, but it's the same thing, right? Like you, I mean, yes, Petra come out at the same time mm. as, um, you know, all these other glam mm. rock bands. Uh, and you, they are, they're, they're copying us. Well, they're, they're playing in the same style. Genre. In the same genre yeah. of hair yeah. metal, right? Yeah. yeah. And so is that copying culture? Is that mm. creating a mm. cultural good? I'm just there. I think that's the the tension that I'm trying to work out. And uh, yeah, Christian music is a really another great example. Of I don't know where I'm going to land, but I agree with you. I actually think there's an element where Christian contemporary music was very cynical because it's like if we create Petra to sound like Dio, then we'll get sales and we'll make a lot of money. Oh, so absolutely. there was heaps of that in the contemporary Christian music. There's a there was all these rock stars and there was Amy Grant and there was you know all these there was a lot of money. Get, and there was also the get, Christian bookstore, which yep. whose primary customer was your suburban mum, and they wanted safe music to give to their kids. And so yep. another cultural artifact that came out of the Christian bookstore movement were these posters yep. that said, oh, do you like Blink-182? Yeah. Listen yep. to Goaty Hook. Listen that. to MXPX. However... And, and so there was this kind of like, you know, almost this direct, encouraging this direct copying. Yeah. And my mum and dad had a Christian bookshop Absolutely, yeah, in yeah. Bankstown Square for 17 years. So I met many people who were doing that. Oh, my son started listening to this bad music. Have you got an alternative? Yeah, yeah, totally. There yeah, was yeah. that. Right. But on the other level, I think what, and, and I, I might be being too harsh because I haven't read Crouch widely enough to be able to know if he's, he's talked about this. But one of my impressions is I think he's a bit harsh on it at the same time. Okay. Because I think there is an element within Christian contemporary music that is incredibly creative. And so if you look back to Larry Norman, he was kind of the originator of Christian rock. And you listen to his lyrics, you don't hear that anywhere today. So his lyrics were things like drinking whiskey, drinking whiskey from a paper cup, you drown your sorrows till you can't stand up. Why don't you take a look at yourself, put the bottle back on the shelf. Gonorrhea on Valentine's Day, you're still looking for the perfect lay. Why don't you look into Jesus? He's got the answer. Now that is not copying, like that is full tilt. So. In other words, it's too edgy for the church and it's also too Christian for the world. So there's another part of contemporary Christian music that I love, which is a sweet spot, which is when Christians are actually being Christians and a young generation is creating a new form of Christian proclamation that actually is authentic and real. And, you know, I've told this story before. I'm, I don't know if I've told on the podcast, but when Randy Stonehill went to live with Larry Norman, the story goes, Randy's sharing a house with him i think he just was renting you know sharing a house that way and i think the story goes larry puts on the kettle and says to randy hey you a christian he goes no nah. he goes oh do you want to become a christian he goes no <laughs> and then he puts the kettle on and he put and he puts a tea bag in the cup he goes oh do you want to be a christian yet he goes no <laughs> and then he pours the tea in and he goes do you want to be a christian yet and he goes no and then he brings a cup of tea over the table with milk in it i don't know if this is true someone should get back to me on this or I should check it better but it's a cool story uh, and the story goes he sits down and puts the, the cup of tea gives it to Larry uh, Randy and he says do you want to become a Christian yet he goes yes <laughs> now, now that's assuming that Randy knows the gospel mm. and when you listen to love song from the 60s they've got a song why don't you come home it's time to come home remember who you used to be so the evangelism in the 60s was in the early 70s was we need to call a generation back to church at a time when almost 100% of people did Sunday school. So everyone knew the gospel. But now the problem is if there's no assumed knowledge now. You can't assume that people know anything. It's a different kind of preaching. But interestingly, even at that time, again, um, 
you know, Billy Graham was preaching the pure gospel really clearly, I think. People could argue with me. But I think it was just, even to that generation, he's, you're a sinner, you need a saviour. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus has paid for our sin. If you trust in him, you can have it paid for and have eternal life. And that is the beginning of your new life. So I, I'm a big fan of that. Um, in our generation, in the 90s, when we were rocking around in the 2000s, when you came along, the amount of beautiful celebration to, you know, an MXPX song or, you know, and there were songs that were edgy, like, you know, people might again disagree with me, but I think Jesus Freak was a fantastic anthem for Christians and that gave young Christians a voice that mm. said, you can be a freak again. And that's what Larry used to do. So in the 80s, that kind of got lost a little bit. But however, the last thing I'll say is so much of my Christianity, you're going to laugh at this, was formed by Petra songs. Because I would sit and listen to them day and day. And it was things like Beat the System, More Power to You, you know, um, Stand Up and Be Different, uh, Be a Christian, Be Proud of It. The lyrics, like, it sounded like they were trying to make a copy of the world, but the lyrics, like Larry Norman, were very countercultural mm. for my day and age. It was like, um, wasn't quite as strong as drinking whiskey from a paper cup, <laughs> but it was definitely, you know, the whole album Beat the System was, look, the whole world is different to us we have to go against the flow that was the message i got you got to keep preaching one of the songs they sang was stained glass windows we've got to get out of the church and go out into the world and tell people about the gospel don't have it as a holy huddle yet to outsiders watching me listening to petra they think oh there's the little christian in his christian bubble listen to his christian rock but i'm sitting there listening to it going how can i go and talk to people who are different to myself so that when mum and dad opened a christian bookshop in the late 80s and i was working for them I was saying to Dad, hey, do you mind if I just go out and talk to people in the centre? And, it, and I'd take tracks with me and I'd go and sit with people and say, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? And that's why Dad opened the shop, because at the other, one level there's the Christian mum coming and saying, Has, have you got a safe Christian record for my kids? But there were Christian teenagers coming in going, I need this stuff. Mm. I want to be hardcore. I don't want to be a soft Christian. So, yeah, I think, long explanation, but I think when it comes back to the ad, are there going to be some Christian kids that look at that and go, I'm going to love and tell people about Jesus who are different to me? That's a great outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, wow. I was just thinking also that um, we talked last week about, um, from Dave's, Dave Adamson's thread, about how he, the difference between Australian and US culture, and in particular church culture, and we talked about the antagonism that we believe that Australian society has towards um, the church. Do you think that ad works better? And it's made for an American audience. Do you think that works better in the US because of the cultural Christianity rather than if it put on well, There's here? a bit more of what I was describing with Love Song, which was a band from the 70s, where mm. they're calling people back to church. I mm. think there's been a lot of people leaving the church in the last 20, 30 years. And so they're probably at another point where they're saying, come back. Okay. So there might be a bit of that, I think. And mm. for young people, come back. Like I wondered if that ad was aimed at a lot of young people who were like, I don't know if I like the church anymore. We come across as haters. Well, I don't yeah, think many people my age are going to go, oh, yeah, I'm not. of course I'm not. Jesus isn't a hater. But young people would probably think that. So mm. it could be the evangelistic edge for young people who are progressive going, you know, maybe they've done focus groups, maybe they've done some research, ethnographic research, and they're hearing young people saying the church needs to be more loving, Let's, let's push down that end. As long as I don't lose the truth in that mm. truth and love bit. I would have loved it if there was some kind of truth and love in there. Like, it would have been unreal. Well, there but are the statistics anyway, coming out of the I'm US. I'm asking too much like some people. <laughs> That's right. The statistics in the US that I've seen that are coming out that it's Zoomers is the latest generation, isn't it? That yeah. the uh, women are becoming slightly more progressive, but... Uh, men are going far more conservative. I've heard that too. Yeah, yeah. which is uh, interesting because then I feel like it, speaking to a US cultural context, it seems to be more divided over here than I would think in Australia. Over here? Well, in no, Australia. so more divided in the US rather than Australia. Oh, right. Yeah. So maybe they're trying to speak to that because at the end it says just says Jesus didn't teach hate. He washed feet. And I find that interesting that yeah, are they see, trying... that's what I'm... Problem I've got with it. Yeah, that's what I'm... I'm he didn't teach hate, he washed feet. There's that action and truth thing being, I think it's like he did, Jesus taught love and he washed feet. I know they want to say he didn't teach hate. I mean, maybe they could have said 
didn't teach hate, he taught love, and then he did it in practice on Washford. You know, maybe there could be some mm. way of combining those two. But the truth aspect that I think that you're talking about is the servant heartedness. What I'm worried about is progressive young people thinking if I preach the gospel and I preach against unrighteousness, which you know we we're told um, that you know the truth loves righteousness. Sorry, love loves righteousness. Taught, but when we teach righteousness. So that that's my problem. People teach righteousness and it gets equated with hate. Hate. Because we we call people to think about the fact that we, we are all sinners. That's hate. Translated mm. as hate by some people, right? And challenges their identity. So it's almost like saying Jesus doesn't preach. So a young person, I'm wondering if they hear Jesus doesn't preach. He just washes he just feet. Loves. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can follow that Jesus. It's kind of like, oh, here's another plastic mm. Jesus that we could create if we're not careful. Yeah, okay. I think that question of how... How is the message received is really important. And so I think I agree. There is a danger that you, if this is what you have to go on with Jesus, you might think, oh, cool. He's, you know, hippie loving mung bean Jesus who just goes, everything goes and it's just love all the time. Um, And he doesn't ever call me to change. Um, Yes, you could go down there. And I just think, you know, a 30 second um, uh, um, spot ad. A 30-second ad that, you know, does the, you know, you're all sinners, you all need a saviour, Jesus is the saviour, is also going to be heard in a way that says, oh, well, you know, how dare you tell me who I am and pushes away and says, so isn't that the gospel going to do that? What I'm saying is let the gospel push people away, not yes, but bad uh, behaviour. Yes, um, but... If it does, if people reject it, it's because of the gospel, not because of how we make it worse, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, but but I think also helping... Like, what are they going to hear when we say those words uh, in a way that is actually going to uh, make it understandable? I think we still have the the responsibility to um, speak the gospel clearly and truly uh, in a way that they will hear what Jesus wants them to hear, uh, which is his truth. Um, And I just wonder whether, again, particularly in a a post-Christian world, we're moving further and further away, um, that they... you need to build in some of that background knowledge um, and so that when you communicate that um, people can hear the right things that Jesus is about, what Jesus is actually about. Mm. So I'm not a marketer. So if we we leave the actual ad to one side for a sec Mm. because I don't know how to do an ad, so I'll, I'll just put that to one side. But I think the further we move away from the gospel, the easier it is for us to just tell the pure gospel, the clear gospel that people can hear and go, oh, wow, that's new. So even though they've categorised us as haters, I don't want to actually then relate back to them to try and convince them we're not haters. I just want to keep telling them that we love them through saying we're all sinners and we need a saviour. So I am not an expert in advertising in 30-second gospel presentations because, as you know, I can tend to speak a bit longer than that when I do a sermon. But um, sometimes to, my, to the congregation's detriment. But what, what I, I still feel, and, and I'm still open for you guys to keep pushing back, but I still feel that in the midst of a dying world where no one knows anything about the gospel, Billy Graham goes into Thailand and they've got no Christian heritage, no nothing, and he says, we've all sinned, and he explains it. We are sinners because we've rejected God. There is a God and we've rejected him. Sit with that. Look at the consequences of that. All these things that have fallen in the world is because we've rejected God. Yet Jesus still loves us. God still loves us. And he sent Jesus to die for our sin and rebellion and wipe the slate clean. And I just want to say that it's funny because here's another illustration of what I'm trying to say. Back in the day, we were allowed to preach the gospel in scripture at school. And we were allowed to ask people if they wanted to become Christians, like way back in the early 90s. And I could go into a scripture class and the principal and the teachers at the school expected us to do this. They thought proselytisation was what Christians do. So I would walk into the class and I'd say, look, let's have a conversation about faith. Because I thought if we have a conversation, that would be easier for them to get the gospel. Because in the day, that back in the day, everyone was saying, don't just talk at people you know, engage with them, answer their questions. And I'd do that week after week and no one became Christians. And then I thought, I might just preach the gospel for 40 minutes and see what happens. So I'd, I'd take them through a, a biblical theology and I'd start with creation 
and I'd go all the way through to Jesus and I talk about how how we can become a Christian, da, da, da. I talk about people of Israel and all this sort of stuff. Through the Jesus beats, we used to use those as a basis. Heaps of people started becoming Christians. And yet I was told that that wasn't intuitive in our culture, in a postmodern culture, to just speak the gospel. Mm-hmm. But you see, I think if we preach the gospel, the Holy Spirit is going to convict mm. people, not the way we teach it. So I'm not an Armenian thinking that it's up to everyone to make a choice whether they become a Christian or not. God's going to call people. And so if we're just confident and we look not silly about it, I don't think, think we should go out there and get in the way of, you know, cause offence by being somehow deliberately non-cultural, you know, like, you know me, I don't try and do that. I'm not coming in with a Helen Brimfire sermon necessarily, you know, there are cultural elements to how we present the gospel. Um, and because I spoke in the vernacular of the 90s, like coming back to Wayne's world, I spoke like that in my sermons. I got criticised by one adult at a, at a church that I went and spoke at once as, oh, that was the gospel according to Bart Simpson. <laughs> and it was meant to be a payout, but I took it as a compliment. So I thought, oh, good, that sounds good. <laughs> but it wasn't that I was trying to enculturate the gospel. It was just I was trying to use what you're saying, like use it in a plain English way for people to hear it. But if Billy Graham can go into Thailand and see thousands, hundreds of thousands of people become Christians when they hear the gospel, the missionaries that went into Papua New Guinea and said there is a God and Jesus is more powerful than the spirits you're scared of, they're just like, oh, wow, that's unreal. We want to hear about that. I, I just worry that non-Christians are seeing us trying to be cool in that ad, that we're still, you know, it's all sepia-coloured and, you know, we're, fitting, it's all very in. cool. But, yeah, I, I don't think that... It, there's a, there's a hegemonic device at play when we try and be clever and we try and make something cool. Um, I've thought about this, again, this is another little tangent, but I thought about this when I first saw, when I first read about the Black Panther Party for self-defence in the 1960s that emerged in Oakland in San Francisco. Uh, it was at a time of a lot of civil rights where a lot of uh, young black people were saying, actually, we, we're sick of being treated as second-class citizens. And the Black Panther Party for Self-Defence had a lot of problems. I'm not advocating for them. Some of them turned into terrorists, took over planes, killed people, all sorts of stuff. But at the very beginning, what they did was they just had this crazy idea that they were going to be black. And instead of straightening their hair like their parents were doing, they just let their hair go frizzy. So, you know, you've got all these images in your mind of the 70s disco movement with all these fantastic African-American hairstyles, really big... Uh, big hair sort of thing with even African combs in their hair and stuff like that. Yeah, the Black Panthers were one of the first to do that. But what their parents had been doing is their parents had been dressing like white people, thinking if we're dressing like them and talking like them and looking like them, then we'll get on in their society. But they're always going to be African-American. So their, their kids said, why don't we just be African-American and stop pretending to be white? Let's just be, be African-American. And that was actually something that galvanised the whole civil rights movement. At one point, all the student politicos at Berkeley University, the hippies in San Francisco, the uh, the Haight-Ashbury, all came around the Black Panthers because they were the coolest thing going there for a little while because they were confident in who they were. And they were following the police around, watching the police, making sure they didn't bash up people. That was They carried guns and all sorts of stuff. And so I'm not saying we should be like that, but there's a political thinker who I don't agree with, and again, I'm probably spinning everyone out, but there's a guy called Antonio Gramsci who was a communist, and I'm not a communist, but he was the one who described that phenomena and he called it hegemony. And when he used to try and go to Italy and try and get all the workers in the factories to rise up against the owners and take the factories over like they did in Russia in the early, you know, early 20s, he got put in jail and he couldn't get anyone to rise up. And, he, and the work, he said to the workers, why won't you rise up against the owners? And they said, because we want to be owners one day too. So if we work hard, we'll get a factory as well. And he's like, these are the poorest people in Italy. They're never going to own a factory. Now, let's put aside all that political thing. But if you translate some of those ideas into the Christian world, there's an element of contemporary Christian music that says, well, if we can play rock and roll as good as the non-Christians, then they'll actually appreciate us. Sure, they might not have listened to Larry Norman even when he did a good job of that. But when Bob Dylan became a Christian, all of a sudden everyone's like, wow, Bob Dylan's a Christian. He's written Slow Train Coming. Everyone's going to become Christians because he's like the mouthpiece of our generation. And Larry had a hand in his conversion. No one became Christians. 
critics panned the slow train coming. You put out another Christian album, and that, that was it. So Larry Norman used to say, if they didn't even listen to Bob Dylan, they're not going to listen to you. So there's a little bit of that hegemony going on. We think if we can be as cool as the world, then they'll accept us, but they won't. So there's a little bit in advertising, oh, if we do a real cutting edge one and we do it at the Super Bowl, then they'll listen to us. We do a Super Bowl ad, they'll listen to that. It's not just how many people listen to it. It's actually we will be at the Super Bowl. But, you know, we're straightening our hair and wearing clothes of the world. We're not being Christian. Let's let our hair go and put combs in our hair. That's the other alternative to that, you see. So might have gone down a mega rabbit hole there, but I think that coming back to the whole idea of truth and love, if we try... And I'm not saying you're saying this, Tim, and I think you're terrific at, at connecting with the world and your cultural aptitude is perfect, you know, and you're always sitting under the Word of God. Uh, so I really respect that. But might be getting older, I might be old-fashioned possibly, but I've seen people become Christians when I've done a terrible job of <laughs> trying to explain <laughs> it. And I've just come home going, that was, Je- that was Jesus. You know, that was Jesus. And that's the confidence. If we do ads in the Super Bowl, I don't care, really. As long as we have that confidence mm. in who we are. We clothe ourselves with Christ, not with the world. We don't put on cool clothes like the world to try and look like them. Let's be Christian so they at least know we're Christian. Even if they don't like us, they know we're Christian. And if we stand there, I think as the culture moves further away from the gospel, there's going to be more and more people who look back on Christianity and go, actually, I think I do want to go home. I think that's a, that was a really nice place to be. I loved it when young people started saying wholesome. I thought, that's a crack in the armour. No way would my generation say that word. Never was wholesome cool. There was cool and there was wholesome. Wholesome <laughs> was daggy. But when young people start going, oh, that's so wholesome, I'm like, wow, that's a crack. That's a crack in the harshness of secular brutalism that I think we're living through at the moment. It's a little crack starting to form within the atheistic void of nothingness. Mm. People are searching for wholesomeness. And there's a bit of wholesome in that video that I think I connected with. But Jesus saying, I've come because I love you. You've got a problem. I can fix it. You know mm. that that's the that's the ad. Anyway, thanks mm. for listening. What about a bit of, a bit of fun to finish? If you um, you're an ad agency and someone has a lot of money in Australia, I'm throwing it to him. Yeah, well, we I think we know what you want to do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the and you got to do an ad in the middle of the AFL or NRL grand final, for example. Can Kiss be in the ad? Con- contradicting everything I just said. <laughs> <laughs> I think Kiss playing at the <laughs> AFL Grand Final was one of the best things I've seen in a long time. Well, maybe. Um, no, I, that was a joke. I was just wondering, like, what what is like like the top line thing that you would probably want to put in there? Because I think Stu, you've said preach the gospel, and like what a lot of the things that you're saying make a lot of sense. Because I'm reading Acts at the moment, and that's what. Paul and Barnabas and Silas and all those guys are doing there is just doesn't matter we're just going to and they I mean I've just read um, I think it's 13 and 14 they've just got beaten twice (laughs) for preaching the gospel Um, but a lot of people became Christians at the same time so it makes sense what you're saying doing the Billy Graham approach of just saying and it's not a bad thing let me say that again I'm not condemning the ad because Paul went into the centre of Athens and said I see that you have all these statues and you have one to an un name God mm. that was his 30 seconds mm. in his version he was there for a bit and he had a go mm-hmm. so I think it's not a bad thing to try mm. yeah what about you Tim was there anything that you'd like to see in an ad <laughs> this is just a bit of fun like I said well I mean talk about a bit of fun I, I did see that there was a Duolingo ad <laughs> okay <laughs> which it's which Duolingo. was just Duolingo is a language learning yeah. app oh, really? um, the <laughs> I've got the, got the ad here all right good. it's um can we show the crew? We can show. We can show the crew. Yeah, we'll put it up. We'll put it up. Um. <laughs> and that's it. It's just. I, absur- don't, I don't even remember that scene. I don't yeah. think, anyway, it, it's, it's very just. Strange. It's short. It's I don't know sec- if we will put that on. <laughs> it's six seconds. It's it's dumb. Um, and that was uh, maybe this has been raised, you know, by Bart Simpson. Um, is the thought of like if I had an ad, I'd just do something that. It's very clever. Was, was yeah, just something. Just like so what, what would your intrigue. intrigue be? I don't know. I don't know. Oh. Okay, I'll give it a crack. Can I give it a crack? Oh, yeah. All right. So you get this um, 80s big hair girl 
listening to Madonna or something. Okay. And Madonna's got this massive cross on. So the girl that gets a massive cross. And then in the 90s, and it's like a deconstruction of the cross. You can tell that it's actually parodying the cross, right? And then the next person in the 90s wears a cross. And it's similar. Doesn't it's a different, really mean but in that cultural And then context, there's a 2000s yeah. person who just has this cross on. doesn't mean anything. And then something now with a cross, someone wearing a cross, someone cleverer than me. And then Jesus on the cross at the end. Bang. Well, and that's what saying I that like, the message of the cross doesn't change. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's like it's become this kind of cultural meme. But actually, this is what it is. It's a torture device. And he actually died on it. Well, Maybe. I don't know. Okay. Maybe like I said, bad. it was a bit of fun. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, was, I was trying to think what I would do. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, people are still talking about the passion of the Christ, mm, like I, whether um, Christian or not. They talk about it. I've just started watching The Chosen, for example, the oh, show yeah, on Netflix, yeah. which is really interesting. Um, yeah, and that, that could be a podcast. I think we, we might need to. That. We'll do that yeah, next yeah. episode then, but because it'll it plays into the similar things that we're talking about. Can I ask you guys a question? Of course. Do you think any of us had one of those? Let's talk, call it a gesture for today towards that ad of copying, consuming critiquing, condemning. The ad itself? Yeah, yeah. What would you say what would you say I did today? I don't know if we were well, I mean I we were engaged in critique. Okay. Critique uh, of the uh, not necessarily the ad. I think I mean, well no we we critique the ad, but we also are trying to go bigger than that and, and critique uh, some of the the, the worldview assumptions that are building into mm. that uh, as well. Mm. Yeah. I think you're right. I think that's what I'm thinking we're doing. Yeah. So I don't think we're condemning it, are we? Oh, no. no I, don't I, I, don't so. I don't think there's any Not reason to condemn it. No. no. Some oh, people are, you're saying. You know what? Over oh, yeah, some people. Well, yeah, some people are. I mean, again, there's, I suppose there's probably a blurry line between critique and condemn, isn't there? Uh, I don't think anyone's saying, don't watch this ad. Um, mm. Yeah, that would be okay. condemned. I, yeah, yeah that would be condemned. Yeah. I think I people are saying, I can't believe... That's a, that's oh, really sorry, the, there are those, there are people um, who would say, who are saying, um, this was a terrible use of $14 million. Uh, okay, and, yeah, yeah. And why didn't we, you know, feed the poor, build gospel resources, do this? Like, there's lots of things that you could fill in the... I would, if I was a Christian and I had $14 million, I would do X and I can't mm. believe that they didn't do X. Mm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, it's actually that, that's a condemning posture which a number of people have taken as well. Well, it's actually probably more because the, the two spots cost $7 million each, but you had to make the ad Ooh, too. So it would spicy. have been even more than that. Right, sure. Mm. But I, I was just thinking about that when I first watched it, I'm like, what is this for? Mm. And my initial reaction was, <laughs> I was making a joke. I was like, is this the Daily Wire? <laughs> the, con- the conservative. That make their own yeah, stuff. That's yeah, that's all right. I, yeah. But that's because they're trying to, they to start doing yeah, those things. Are. And yeah. maybe they are creating in their own way. I think there are some more, it's more conservative than Christian. Mm. Anyway, that was fun. Having a well, look at the, the super fun. one. Uh, Stu's jumped out to go and make his own ad already. <laughs> <laughs> he's taken his idea and run with it. Yeah, that's right. Well, he's probably got many people to call to put together your ad for, the, for this year's uh, grand finals. But <laughs> we'll see if that happens. Anyway, we'll continue the conversation. We'll. Hopefully that has uh, brought you some value if you're listening or watching. And you can email me, joel, at shockresolver.com.au if you wish to continue the conversation further or you have any questions. Let us know what you thought of the ad in the exactly. comments below. Yes, that would be fantastic as well. Uh, thank you, Stu, who's not here. But also thank you, Tim, who thank is you, here joel. to finish off the episode. And thank you to me for, fi- for being Thank you, Joel, responsible. for being responsible and holding it all together. <laughs> That's right. No worries. <laughs> and, of course, we finish with a one-way. One-way. <laughs>